I shared in the first service that I'm not sure if you give more during the offering when Carla plays, but we're going to go with that for a while and see <laughs> if it works out. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40 as we continue to walk through God's Word together. Uh, I appreciate so much Pastor Nick coming and, and sharing from God's Word uh, last week, that message of what it means to be truly content, how our contentment is rooted in Christ, and I I pray that you'll see that the connection between that passage in Philippians 4 and what we look at in Genesis 40 today, because we're going to look at a passage where Joseph is at a point in his life where for most of us, if we were in these circumstances, we would probably not be very content. And yet I think what we see in Joseph is what we see in that call from God's Word in Philippians 4, that that our contentment does not rest in our circumstances that our contentment ultimately is found in Christ and in the gospel. And, and so I pray that you'll see that as we look to a passage that, that may be very familiar to you. It's the passage where you have Joseph there in prison and, and you've got these other prisoners and he's interpreting their dreams. But at the end of Genesis 40, we're struck with this reminder that, that, that man fails Joseph. And we're reminded that so often the things of this world fail us. And yet we're called to put our faith, to find our contentment in something greater than ourselves and than this world. And so if you will, out of reverence for the Word of God, if you're able, if you'll stand as I read for us Genesis 40, verses 1 through 23, and then share a few thoughts from God's Word this morning. This is what the holy, inspired Word of God says to us. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night, They both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt. They were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. Please do to me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews And here also I've done nothing that should put me into the pit. When the chief 
baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I've also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. If you would pray with me. Father, we are reminded from your word this morning of the story of Joseph. And Lord, as we've looked to this before, we look today and ask that you would help us to see the truth of the gospel in it. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I watched a a movie. Uh, I didn't know much about it other than the title. The title was All is Lost. And if you've seen it, some of you may, it was a movie, a rather different kind of movie. There was only one actor in the whole movie. It was Robert Redford. He was on a ship that was sinking. and, And essentially in the movie, things really got bad and all was lost. Sandy makes fun of me because she watches movies that are, you know, Fun little stories, and I pick movies called All Is Lost about guys sinking in a ship. But, but, it, but it was a good film, and if you're planning on seeing it today, I'm going to spoil it for you, but there's probably more fun things you could do on Father's Day than that anyway. So the, the movie starts out with, with Redford's character in a, in a sailboat, and the sailboat is jarred by something. And he wakes up to find that there's a hole in the side of his ship that a wayward shipping container that had been dumped at sea had actually floated in the Indian Ocean into the side of his boat, and now he had a crisis on his hands. And as the movie moves forward, things just get worse and worse and worse. It gets to the point where the boat sinks, and he has to abandon his ship and get into a little life raft that he has. As he does that, he takes a large jug of water into the life raft, and as he gets set up in the life raft, he realizes that the water that he had actually got contaminated by salt water. And things just get worse and worse and worse for him. He gets to the point where he's drifting through shipping lanes and these major ships come through and he shoots off the flares he has, but nobody sees him. It gets so miserable that there at the end of the movie, night has fallen, he is starving, he's dehydrated, he has no resources left, he's floating in this little life raft and he sees a light off in the distance of another boat. He doesn't have anything he can do to signal them, no flares are left, and so the only thing he has left to do is take his maps and his journal and light them on fire in hopes that this ship will see him. But the fire gets out of hand, his little life raft catches on fire, and he has to jump into the ocean and sink to the bottom. Doesn't that sound like a fun movie to watch? As I watched it, I asked myself that question. But then as I reflected on it, and days after I watched it, I thought, you know, there's, there's more of a message there than just a guy in his boat. 
there's kind of a message about life there. Because sometimes we, we find ourselves getting jarred by situations. Sometimes we wake up and there's a hole in our ship too. Sometimes that hole leads to something worse. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we're sinking to the bottom of the ocean. I think that's sort of where we find Joseph in Genesis chapter 40. We find him in the pit once again. We find him at the bottom. And the question for Joseph is the question for us. It is all really lost. Because there are certainly times when it seems like that. And so as we look to God's Word today, I, I want to remind you that when we get to those moments, when we feel that way, when, when we feel like all hope is lost, God's Word has an answer for us. And it's the Gospel. And I hope that you'll see that as we look to this Word today. Beginning with the first point that I've put there in your notes, there are certainly times in life when all hope seems to be lost. We find Joseph here in Genesis 40 at the beginning. Verse 1, it says, Some time after this. And we tend to, to read through Genesis. I've mentioned this before. As we read through other narratives, we, we read through them and we kind of think a few days have passed, a few weeks have passed. We think things happen rather quickly. But we need to be reminded when there's, when there's indications like this in the text, some time after this, some time really has passed. Joseph now has found himself in prison, most likely at this point for years. Now, we also need to be reminded of what those years probably look like. You know, when we read about Joseph, I don't think that we look at his imprisonment as, as being so bad. And we know in the Scripture that while he was put in prison, God favored him, God blessed him, and so he keeps being put in these positions of authority. And I fear that kind of then gives us the wrong perspective that maybe his imprisonment wasn't that rough to begin with. I think we look at it maybe a little like something my kids and I watched recently. We, we've introduced our kids to the Andy Griffith Show, and we've been going back and watching through all the seasons of the Andy Griffith Show. And it's been really fun as different characters present themselves to talk to them about them. And, and the one that presented himself recently was Otis. If you uh, remember Otis, uh, Otis was the town drunk and he would stumble into the jail. And if you remember it, as he would go in, uh, there's the key hanging on the wall. And Otis would unlock the door and he'd let himself in and shut it. And he'd hang the key back up. And he had a pretty nice little cell there, a little handmade Afghan probably. And he had Aunt B bringing him food. I mean, I was fearful as we watched this that my kids might think, jail doesn't seem so bad. And then when, when he sobered up, when he's done, he just unlocks himself and he just kind of walked back out. You know, I fear that sometimes we might look at Joseph like that. We think his imprisonment, well, it must not have been that bad. I mean, he had all this authority. He was put in charge of things. He was, he was the head of things. So, so maybe he was a little like Otis. You know, he could let himself in, let himself out. We need to be reminded that Joseph's time in prison was nothing like that. That his time in prison was much harsher than anything in our common prison systems today. In fact, the Scripture indicates that as we look into the language. Verse 3 there talks about the prison where Joseph was confined. Now that word doesn't really trigger much for us, but when you look into the language and get into the Hebrew, you find that word means a lot more than he was locked up in a cell. In fact, the Hebrew word there used for confined is the same word used to describe what was done to Samson in the book of Judges when they bound him with ropes. 
you remember that in the book of Judges, they, they come to get Samson and they bind him and they bind him and they strap him down and they wrap all these ropes around him. That, that's the word here used to describe what Joseph is experiencing. And if that's not enough for us, the psalmist gives us a better picture. In Psalm 105, the psalmist is recounting just the glory of God and how God uses all things for His glory. And he comes to the story of Joseph. And he talks about how Joseph's imprisonment was used for the glory of God. And then he describes Joseph's imprisonment this way. He said, Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters. And his neck was put in a collar of iron. That, that, that gives us a little bit more vivid understanding of what Joseph is going through here. He's in a dungeon. And chances are, for parts of the day or the night, he, he is chained in that dungeon, around his neck, around his feet, around his arms. And you consider what may have been going through his mind at those moments when he found himself in chains. You put this in the context of what we've read about. You think about how Joseph, just a few chapters earlier, we read when he was a young man that he had dreams. And that these were special dreams from God. And these were dreams that were prophetic about what would happen in his life. You remember what those dreams were? Joseph, you're, you're going you're gonna to be exalted above your family. Joseph, you're, you're going to be exalted and your brothers are going to bow down to you. Joseph, even your very father is going to bow down to you. you. You think about how many times Joseph probably thought about those dreams while he's in the dungeon, in chains. His brothers, gone. His father, gone he is left alone in a foreign land and you wonder what he's thinking at those moments you wonder if he's beginning to doubt okay god i don't think these dreams were quite right i'm not sure that i interpreted correctly because every time it seems like things will take a turn for him they just end up turning for the worse he goes to see his brothers they're already mad at him they throw him into a pit well, they don't kill him, so that's good, but they sell him into slavery. Then he gets there to Potiphar's house in Egypt, and things seem to go better. He's put in charge of a lot of things as a slave there. And then what happens? Potiphar's wife lies about him and makes this accusation about him, and then he's thrown right back into the pits. You wonder if in those moments he began to struggle, because we do. See, we find ourselves so often in a place that, that is a pit. We find ourselves so often in that place where it seems things go from bad to worse. We find ourselves in places where we feel like we are sinking to the bottom of the ocean and we feel like all hope is lost. And then in those moments, there will even be things that happen when we think it can't get any worse, and it does. Sandy and I this week have spent a great deal of time recounting Caroline's story to different nurses. If you've ever spent time in ICU, you know doctor after doctor, nurse after nurse, and you have to go through the whole history. And so we've been recounting it and going over it. And, and let me just put the umbrella over that of saying we, we have seen God's provision and God's grace so much through Caroline. But, but we've had some very hard experiences 
going back to her birth and her initial diagnosis and going to Vanderbilt and being flighted there and, and not knowing if this was life or death or what was going on in the beginning and, and receiving different news and diagnoses. The, the doctors told us Caroline had a syndrome that less than 100 people in the world had, so there really wasn't much information for us. And, and as we were kind of gathering all that in and, and settling into it and, and trying to map out, okay, what are our next steps? I remember... Going to Vanderbilt to what was supposed to be just a routine hearing check. And, and already our minds swimming with all this stuff and all these procedures and all these complications. And having this audiology tell us that she was deaf. Now, now that's not a, a death sentence. But at that moment, it just kind of felt that way. Because it, it was just one more thing. And we were so close to the edge already. I remember as if it were yesterday, her looking at me, that audiologist is saying, as I would ask question after question, her just basically saying, listen, she's never going to say mommy or daddy. Well, she was wrong. (laughs) But in that moment, it was like getting kicked in the gut. And I remember being in the parking garage and looking to Sandy and just feeling so much bitterness and so much frustration. And just thinking, you know, Lord... Is it not enough already? Is it not enough? And again, God's been gracious. And if you've been around my daughter, she can hear and speak. And she doesn't stop talking. And as soon as they take that breathing tube out, she's going to have words with the nurses, I'm sure, to let them know how she feels. But, you know, I just remember there's those moments. You've had them as well. Those moments where, where, where you just wake up and you think, is this, is this really it? Those moments where maybe you wake up and you go, I don't want to get out of bed today. Those moments when you're in the pit and you had no idea that that's where things were headed. I mean, I think about Joseph when he left that morning to go after his brothers. Did he have any idea of how bad it would get? I mean, his worst case scenario was probably, you know, they don't like me very much and they might go run and hide from me or I might have to go find them somewhere. Or I might get lost along the way. Or I might not do a good job and then dad's not going to trust me either. In a million years, he probably didn't imagine the pit, slavery, and now imprisonment. And so the question that rings through the page to us is, is at this moment, at the bottom, when things keep getting worse, what will Joseph do? What will we do? And what the scripture tells us, And what the gospel calls us to is this, point two. We're called to walk by faith. We're called to walk by faith even when all hope seems to be lost. This is what separates the people of God from an unbelieving world. That even at the bottom, even in the pit, even when all hope seems to be lost, we're called to walk by faith. That can be a difficult thing though. We see Joseph do it here. The Scripture tells us that these, these two other prisoners come to where Joseph is confined. The, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now those are somewhat foreign offices in our day today, but they were very important offices in the days of Joseph and Pharaoh and Potiphar. If you remember from just a few weeks ago when we were reading about Potiphar and we were reading about how God exalted Joseph in Potiphar's house, the Scripture says it got to the point where Potiphar essentially didn't have a care in the world, didn't have anything he needed to be concerned with except, the Scripture says, for the food that he ate. 
You see, in Potiphar's day, in Pharaoh's day, you didn't have to worry about the sniper on the roof. You had to worry about the cup in your hand. You had to worry about the plate before you because if somebody was going to take you out, that's how they were going to do it. And so the most trusted position in this day in the Pharaoh's uh, kingdom was not the commander of his army. The most trusted position was the man who brought him the cup. Because that person was to be the, the, the guarantee that there was nothing in that cup that was going to harm him. In fact, many times the cupbearer would take an initial sip to see if it was okay, then for the Pharaoh, the king, to drink it. Wouldn't that be a fun job to have? <laughs> you take that drink, I would want a cupbearer for the cupbearer. But there was a position of trust, a position of authority, the same way with the chief baker, the food that was going to put, be put before him. The Scripture doesn't tell us what these two men did wrong, but it does tell us that they are put there in prison with Joseph. And that they have these dreams. And we have this picture of Joseph coming to them. He has likely still got shackles on his hands, perhaps that iron collar around his neck. He's been released from the dungeon to go in to attend to them. And you can imagine what it must have been for him where he's asking how they're doing. And they say, well, they're just a little upset because of the dreams they've had. And there's that, that word again, dream. And there's that opportunity for Joseph. Is he going to be bitter at God? Is he going to be frustrated about his circumstances? Or is he going to see his circumstances as an opportunity to bring God glory? And that's what he does. See, these men are distressed, not just because they've had dreams. They're distressed because there's no one to interpret those dreams. You see, in Pharaoh's kingdom, he would have had musicians. He would have had magicians. He would have had different wise men. He would have had different seers and he would have called them before him and they would have interpreted his dreams and they likely would have interpreted then the dreams of his chief officers like the cupbearer and the chief baker and so these men they don't have anything like that and so they're in prison and they know these dreams mean something but they don't have any way of knowing what they mean and then in comes joseph and what does he do joseph here brings glory to god and he does it by saying to them a word of correction and a word of encouragement. He, he first corrects them. And he says, listen, you don't need a magician. You don't need an astrologer. You don't need the Sunday morning paper to tell you your horoscope. You don't need your favorite celebrity talk show host. What you need is to hear a word from God who will interpret this for you. Are not all interpretations from God, he says. And then notice how he follows that statement. Are they not all from God? Then tell them to me. <laughs> I don't think Joseph here is taking the stance that he is somehow divine or that he is somehow God. I think what he is essentially saying to these men is, you don't need all these other things. What you need is to hear from God. And friend, I know God and I serve God and I would gladly go to this God on your behalf. And you let that sink in for a moment and you ask yourself and I ask myself, is that how we interact with a lost world? I mean, when was the last time you or I went to someone who was lost, who was an unbeliever, who, who was struggling 
and they're trying all these different ways to find answers that we know are going to fail them. And we graciously and lovingly said to them, listen, these things aren't going to help you ultimately. One thing that can is the sovereign, almighty God of the universe. And I know Him. And I would gladly, gladly pray to Him on your behalf. How, how can I pray for you? That, that's the picture we have here of Joseph. And it's a rather amazing picture because it's a picture of Joseph taking the focus entirely off of himself and putting it onto God. Which is the exact opposite of what our flesh tells us to do. See, so often when we're suffering, when we're in the pit, when things aren't going well, our natural tendency is to say, look at me. Look at me. But look at what's happening to me. And perhaps we do that because we're frustrated and we're angry and we want everybody to know how unfair life is. Look at what's happened to me. This isn't fair. But perhaps we just want someone to notice us in our pain and our suffering. But for the believer, suffering is the opportunity to bring glory to God. For the believing, suffering is not about, look at me. You see, for the believer, we have the Spirit of the living Christ in us who says, not look at me, but look to Him. And for that, that's ultimately the purpose of our suffering. Now I realize that that's not pixie dust. <laughs> that's not, a, okay, let me suffer then. <laughs> but it is the biblical truth. See, God does something through suffering and through pain in our life that I don't think is accomplished in any other way. He does it both in our life to sanctify us, and He does it to use us in the life of others. A quote that I've come to appreciate over the years, I honestly don't say that I like this quote, but I appreciate the value of it. It's by C.S. Lewis, who himself knew much pain and suffering in his life, and in the midst of writing about that, he wrote this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, and He speaks in our consciences, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, God does something when we suffer, not only to get our attention, but to get the attention of the world. And as the world looks on the people of God and their suffering, the world notices when those people bring glory to God and say, even in the pit, I will follow Him. Even at the bottom, I will trust in Him. And I believe that's what we see Joseph do here. And that leads us to our last point in your notes there, point three. You see, all hope is never lost because our hope ultimately is in Christ. This was the message last week from Philippians 4 and that explanation that, that, that Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is poorly applied on our t-shirt in the gym. The Philippians 4.13 is to say, in the pit we can endure and we can persevere because our strength comes from Christ. We can make it through anything because our strength is not our own. It is from Christ. And I believe that's what we see here 
that perseverance, that endurance in the life of Joseph. That's what we will see. You see, if Joseph's story ended with verse 23 of chapter 40, Joseph's story might be all is lost as well. The last verse says that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Can you imagine that for Joseph for a moment? Years in prison for something he didn't do. And finally he has this opportunity that the man who is second only to Pharaoh, he's the one who gives him the good news. You're going to live and you're going to stand there and you're going to put the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. Can you remember something for me? In that moment, when you're with the king, who with his very word can release me from these chains, will you remember me? Will you speak on my behalf? And you can imagine Joseph then, every time he heard the prison door open, every time he heard steps coming down into that prison cell, you can imagine him wondering, okay, did he talk to him? Is this the day I'm released? Is it going to finally Take a turn for the better. But we know from the Scripture, chapter 41, verse 1, after two whole years. See, that didn't happen. At least not in the timing, not in the way that Joseph thought it would. But all hope wasn't lost for Joseph. And all hope's not lost for us. Even when it seems that no one remembers even when it seems that we're at the bottom and then in the midst of being there, things just keep getting worse because our hope ultimately rests in the Gospel. You see, this is, a, this is a forecast. This is to push us to look towards something deeper. Joseph's story is not a story to say, okay guys, let's be like Joseph today. Let's, let's have that Joseph-like faith. No, Joseph's story points us towards another story. Joseph there with those two criminals is a reminder to us of one who would find himself placed between two criminals. Joseph's story, as he interprets these dreams for these criminals, and he tells one, you'll have life, and one, you're going to die, is to point us forward towards one on the cross, who to one will say, you're going to have life. See, there we find Jesus on the cross between two criminals. And one just looks at him, and basically, in frustration and bitterness, oh yeah, well if you're really God, you ever said that? God, if you're really there, then do this. God, if you really care, then why this? That, that's the attitude, that's the countenance of that criminal who's not looking to Jesus as Lord. He's just looking to Him as maybe a, a lucky rabbit's foot, a way to get out of trouble. But the countenance of the other is far different who simply the Scripture would imply to us, believes and trusts and sees Jesus as Lord. And how does Christ respond to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. You will have life. But like this cupbearer of old, you will be pardoned by the King. See, that, that's where Joseph takes us. He, he takes us to that reminder, friend, that this world is not our home. He takes us to that reminder that our suffering, while immense, while unbearable at times, is temporary. And that there is one who has suffered on our behalf, and His name is Christ Jesus. 
And he says to us what he said to that dying thief on the cross. You will be with me in paradise. There will be a day, friend, when all the suffering will end. There will be a day when Father's Day is not a painful reminder for many. There will be a day when there's no more ICUs and no more hospitals. There will be a day when there's no bad doctor reports. There will be a day when there's no more waking up going, Lord, I don't want to get out of bed today. There will be a day where there's a new heaven and a new earth because we have a new hope and that hope rests in Jesus. And if your hope is in anything else, if your hope is in a bumper sticker, if your hope is in all your toys, then it will fail you. If it is not already, it will very soon. There is only one place our hope can rest, and that's in Christ. And God, the God of our universe, the God who we started today's service being reminded of, He hears us when we call. His, his arm is stretched out to save. I started sharing about that movie. I'll, I'll close with one final scene from it. As the sailor is sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and as his, his life raft is engulfed in flames, and you're sitting there in this moment going, that was the most depressing thing I've ever watched in my life, all of a sudden there's this light. And this hand reaches down through the water, and it grabs him and it pulls him out. You see, friends, all hope is never lost. Because that's the gospel. That our gracious God reaches down to the pit and He pulls us from it and He gives us life. And if you're trusting in anything else today, it will fail. But if you trust in that, no matter what happens, if you trust in that, you will endure. If you would pray with me to that end. Father, we pray that You would help Your people to endure hardship and endure suffering. Lord, that we would be reminded from Your Word today, from Joseph's life, that while we may be forgotten, we may be forsaken, we may be in the pit at the hands of others, we may find ourselves in the pit because of our own bad decisions, whatever it is, however we got there, Lord, that Your arm reaches out to save and to rescue and to redeem and to ransom. And so, Father, I pray for any here who's yet to experience that. I pray for any here who, like that other dying thief, was bitter, was resentful, was demanding. Lord, that you would humble us and you would draw us to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would run from our sin and we would run to the cross. I pray that we would confess that Jesus is Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would call others to do the same. Lord, I pray for anybody today who is just hurting, Lord, who's just suffering, who's just, just in the pit, Lord, God, would you lift them up today? Would you place people around them who would pray for them, who would care for them? Lord, I pray for those who for today, it's a hard day for them. Lord, I pray for people who today is a good day, people who are excited, people who are joyful. Lord, help them as well to have their faith and their trust in Christ because life will have ups and life will have downs. Lord, our faith must rest in Jesus. We pray that it will. In Christ's name, amen.